Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. This is episode number 107, dedicated to the young lady. And yes, I say young. That gave birth to me on June 25th, 1988. Yes, today is my birthday. And today is dedicated to my mom, Miss Carol Stevens. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading to the episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Miss Grace Rayner, Clemson Tigers beat writer for The Athletic, coming on talking about the Clemson Tigers football team and helping us get ready for their up coming season. Yes, Miss Grace and I had a fun time talking about some things that are going on currently with the team. And then also he spent quite a bit of quite a bit of time looking ahead to the fall to the upcoming Tigers football season. And as I was getting ready, not just for the conversation Grace and I had, but also looking into the future of here, the podcast, and other guests that we can bring on to help us get ready for the upcoming college football and NFL seasons in the fall. Originally, in my mind, I was thinking, okay, great. The fall, college football, I have a notebook, writing down a bunch of teams, writing writing down a bunch of writers and voices. Yeah, bring them on, bring them on, send that, send that email, send that message on Twitter. And then lo and behold, it hit me. And I'm, I'm a big college football, football guy, but it hit me. And I started talking to myself. I said, Jay, now you know you can't just talk college football on the podcast. You can't do that. You have to be open to other things going on in the fall and college football isn't the only season only football season starting in the fall that listeners of the podcast care about just give a little insight to how it is when i talk to myself when thinking about this here the podcast so we will have uh not just miss grace rayner but other beat writers some voices some podcast hosts maybe even some radio hosts as well coming on here the podcast to help us get ready for football i mean football it's king in America. College football, NFL, doesn't matter. It is king. And it seems like no matter what time of year, if it's a football topic, it's relevant. If it's a football topic, you can put it on a podcast and you will get more ears because of it. So we're going to do that just here on the podcast. So be on the lookout every th- on Thursdays. We will have different guests come on to help us get ready for college football, just like Miss Grace Rayner did, talking about the Clemson Tigers Football team. Also, I believe I mentioned it on Monday and Wednesday. Actually, I'll mention it again. We're. I'm going to be starting a second podcast. Nothing is going to change with this one. Just adding um, something else for me to do and talk about something that I love: Ohio State Buckeye football. The Buckeye beat with Jay Stevens will be on the Unscripted Ohio Podcast Network. That'll be coming out very, very soon. If you would like more information about that, I'll be bringing it here. So be on the lookout. The Buckeye beat with Jay Stevens. Excited to start a, a second podcast where I can talk about my favorite college football team so without further ado let's go ahead and take a trip to clemson south carolina to get ready and to have help and to have the help of miss grace rayner as she helps us get ready for the upcoming clemson tigers football season hey grace welcome to the podcast thanks so much for having me i appreciate it yeah, no problem, no problem. This year has been different, not just for myself, but for you, for everybody in America, really around the world. It's just been a different year. How have you, your family, your colleagues, how have people like around you and yourself included been coping with this abnormal year in life? Yeah, well, thank you for asking. It has been really different. Um, and I think we're all just trying to hang in there day by day and you know, I know that sounds cliche, but um, every day I just wake up and and, and try to you know, attack what's in front of us, but it is a lot. How, how have you guys been doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I'm in my early thirties. My brother's in his late twenties. So we're doing okay. Our parents are twice our age. Mm-hmm. So they're taking it a little, a, a lot different than we are. My parents also watch the news a lot. So my mom's job, she also went from working in an office to working from home. So their lives changed instantly way more than mine did. Uh, I, I actually ended up switching jobs during this period. So I went from one job to another working in, in an office the, both times. But for the most part, okay, here in Indiana where I am, we're like on phase four, which is our final phase. Some, some cities and counties are um, a little further behind because they were locked down a little bit further, which makes sense. Um, but you couldn't predict this to happen at all. It's kind of one of those things that you see in a movie, but then when it happens in real life, you're like, oh, this is what, this is what that's like. For sure. I, I've said this a million times. I am 
so curious to see like what my future children learn about in school and their history books about when they get to the 2020 chapter, like what in the world is going to say, how, how people are going to explain this like in the future. Yeah. It's uh, I, I I've never thought about that at all, but that's, that's a, that's a different angle to look yeah. at it. Cause I remember when I was in school, they would, they talked about certain things. They harp, they, they hit some subjects hard, but then they kind of glossed over, lost over certain subjects. And so when I have kids someday and they hit 2020 is, is it something they glossed over or do they put the emphasis on it? Like it, like it hits us because I mean, I never thought that after nine 11, I thought, okay, cool. That's a, that's big. I was in seventh grade, but I never thought that we would hit something where the entire country was shut down due to prevent a lot of people getting a virus. Yeah. I mean, when I look back on, so I'm, I'm 26 and um, I've never experienced anything like this before in, in my lifetime. I mean, I'm sure you probably feel the same. It's just, everything is just completely unprecedented. Yeah, it is. It is. Speaking of being unprecedented, this, the team you cover on a regular basis, the Clemson Tigers, they were some of the people that, well, some of the college, some of their players, just like other college players and professional players as well, tested positive for COVID-19. I believe it's 23 players and two football staff members all tested positive. I'm not sure if the names got out, I didn't, I didn't see any names in the articles that I read and things that I listened to, but how is a team not just coping with COVID-19, but also with the, the March, the March for Change that went on recently, and also just things going on, riots, looting, things like that, that you can't predict. How is a team handling the virus, the protest, all that stuff? Yeah, I think it's been a really emotional month for not only Clemson's football team, but really I think football teams across the country. Um, you know, starting with the march, which I thought was a, a really fantastic event. I thought they did it, an awesome job with planning it, bringing everyone together. It was peaceful. Um, there were four players, Trevor Lawrence, Cornell Powell, Darian Renter, and Mike Jones Jr., who kind of took the, the lead in, in making that happen. Um, but, the, you know, that was on the heels of, you know, conversations with the entire team, conversations with Dabo Sweeney, who was in the news for, for a good little bit um, for his initial remarks. And so, um, you know, I think it's been a really productive time for them. Like, I think that they're having conversations that they've said they wouldn't have had this time a month ago. Um, and I think that this is something that they're going to continue to talk about. I think it's going to go beyond just the March. Um, but then, you know, you add in the virus and that comes with a whole different set of uh, logistics and, um, you know, emotions around that. I mean, this time about two weeks ago, Clemson had two football players with the virus. And now, as you said, it's up to 23 and two staff members. So um, just just a lot going on really all around. Yeah, you mentioned the comments and remarks from Dabo Sweeney. I believe there was a 13-minute video that was on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if it was directly to Twitter, if it was from a website. I've been so busy trying to just keep up with so many coaches. This coach is saying that. This coach is saying that. It kind of just jumbles up in my head. But I, I watched I watched a video, and I saw him, and I saw, heard the remarks. But I've always been curious about how the athletes, the players, responded to him. What was kind of the temperature of the locker room after that video was released? Yeah, so from everything that I've heard, the players have felt really comfortable and really supported with the way that, that Coach Sweeney has handled everything. And um, they've been – and, you know, to a certain extent, they've been really active on social media and Twitter saying, hey, there's some things going on behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know about. Um, but you know, that's when we're, when we're not on the inside, all we can take is what we see on the outside, you know? So, um, you know, people are informing their opinions and, and, and deciding, you know, how to think about things based on what we do know, but that's a long, a long way of saying they, they felt like he handled things really well. And I think the best thing that he did was he had an emotional senior meeting at his house. Um, and it was before he had made that second video. Um, where they just, everyone just kind of went around the room and said, hey, here are my experiences. Uh, this is what it's like for me being in this country. And I think everyone kind of got to see that, like, what player A experienced is not what player B experiences, which is not what player C experiences. And so I think that's the best thing that Dabo did. Obviously, he got criticized for the way he articulated it, the way that he waited. You know, he was a lot later than a lot of these other coaches. And I think given the way that he's spoken up about things in the past, a lot of people did want to hear what he had to say this time around. Um, but internally, they, they do seem to, to think that he handled it to their, their satisfaction and they liked their, his communication. That's good to hear. That's really good to hear because two names, two other coaches' names that pop into my mind, Mike Gundy 
and Kirk Ferentz, two different scenarios, two different parts of the country, and they're received different ways. And so it's encouraging to hear that the way that the players handled this and how in so many people's eyes, and actually people just in general, things people's eyes are being open to a world and to someone's experience that they've never been able to they may have never thought of before. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, I've gotten people that have asked me as a black man things about white privilege, things about um, if white privilege is a thing or have I ever had issues with the cops or just different things that on a regular day-to-day basis, we as Americans, doesn't matter your color, we just don't think about because we're so busy, we're kind of programmed to go on about our lives. I have to wake up, shower, eat breakfast, Brush my teeth, of course, make sure the hygiene's, hygiene's good, <laughs> and then uh, get to work. And then at work, I have things to do. Then after work, I have, to go, I have to go home and take care of things. If I have kids, if, I have a, if I'm married, and there are things that have to go on in our lives that we just get, I want to say, so consumed with, not, almost, not on purpose, but we just get so wrapped up in the same daily routine so much that I think this time period, it's opened up so many's eyes and Dabo Sweeney as well to a, lot, to a life and to experiences that he can't understand, but that he can learn from. For sure. I think it's, you know, I thought one of the most interesting things that one of the Clemson players, Darian Rincher, had said um, what, in, in that senior meeting where they're really having these open conversations was that, you know, Rencher was saying, look, you know, Coach Sweeney um, comes from a really hard background. He comes from, he, he built himself up, you know, from, from nothing and, and really became super successful. And what Rencher's point was, you know, you can understand that he, he can understand that he's come from a hard background while also understanding from Rencher's point of view, it's still harder to be a black man in America. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I just, and I think these conversations and the fact that they seem to be ongoing, um, you know, all these, all, all these Clemson players at the protests were saying that they had been talking to their parents and their grandparents. And, you know, they were asking their parents and their grandparents, like, why do you feel so hopeful? Why do you feel like there's change this time? And their parents and grandparents were saying, you know, the country's paying attention. They didn't let it, yeah. they're not letting it go. You know, these, yeah. this is the first time in, in a lot of these 20, 21 year old kids lives, they've had these types of meaningful conversations. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, and I hope that's what moves the needle forward. I hope so too. And something about moving the needle, um, I want to backtrack a little bit to the end of last football season, go away from what's going on now, go back to the end of last season, and then work our way up to the upcoming season in the fall. At the end of last season, I myself, I'm an Ohio State fan, and so as I'm watching that game, and I see Justin Fields throw the interception, I'm like, oh no, season's over. And I was somewhat devastated the very next week, or two weeks later, because there's a long wait between the, the semifinal games to the championship game. To me, it's kind of way, way too long. Um, it is way too long. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. But it's uh, – <laughs> I went to – so during that game, I was like, okay, cool. They got, they got Joe Burrow, and he used, to play, he used to play at Ohio State, killed it all season. So I'm rooting for LSU. And for me, it's hard for me to root for SEC schools. But at that time, I went ahead and rooted for LSU, and the rest is history as we know. Going into this season, LSU – LSU, excuse me, Clemson, wrong school. Clemson has, they've lost some players, lost some key players, but there's also some key players coming back. But then I think it was a few weeks ago, we heard about Justin Ross and how he's not playing. Mm-hmm. How, how are they going to replace him? Because he was, he was planning on playing a big role in the upcoming season. How are they expected to replace uh, his shoes on the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, he was going to be, uh, I think anyone who has has seen Clemson play would, would tell you straight up Justin was going to be their leading receiver in, in 2020. There was really no debate about that. He was going to slide over to the boundary spot to replace T. Higgins. Um, and then Amari Rogers, the senior, was going to be in the slot. And the other outside spot was going to come down to uh, two sophomores, Frank Ladson and Joseph Ngata. So now um, it looks like both of those sophomores are going to be starting. And, and these are guys that you know, Clemson feels really confident about and they really like, but they're young, you know, they're, they're, they're inexperienced. They were just getting their feet wet as freshmen. So um, I'm really curious to see how they handle that transition. And then I also think you're going to see a little bit more. um, I think Clemson's going to have to get flexible. You know, Mari Rogers can play on the outside and in the slot, but I think they're going to move him in and out. Cornell Powell, who is a redshirt senior, same way he can play in the slot or on the outside, I think he's going to play a a much larger role than we expected. And then I think the third thing that Clemson's going to do is they really have not had a true 
threat in the passing game at the tight end position since Jordan Leggett in 2016. And I think that they believe that they have that in 2020 with Braden Galloway. Um, and I think his role just got a lot bigger because, I mean, you just, you just cannot overstate what losing Ross means to this offense. I mean, this, he, he was their leader in receptions last year. He was just, you know, your heart breaks for him. Um, but yeah, they've got some, they've got some chess to play and figuring out kind of what's next there. They do. They do. How do you think that Braden Galloway and then also JC Chalk, the tight ends at the tight end position, what kind of role will they play with losing Ross? I would assume and kind of think that JC Chalk's going to play a big kind of leadership role. And then Braden Galloway is going to be there just kind of uh, be a nice duo together. Yeah, for sure. I think that Braden would have been the 2019 starter had he not been suspended at the Cotton Bowl for the yes. Austrian situation. Um, and so I think that he and JC together, um, they complement each other pretty well. Like Braden, um, I think they think is going to be pretty effective in the passing game, whereas JC was primarily a blocker in 2019. Um, but JC, you're right. He has that leadership. He knows the system. Braden's now a junior. I think that's really good for both of them to kind of join forces and, and bring this group along. They've got some young guys in that room. Um, and to understand, you know, this, this, uh, this offense is going to look different than we, than we imagined. And so um, I'm really interested to see what they do with Galloway. I just think that we just haven't seen that since, since 2016, um, where the tight end was really a crucial part of their offense. And that's something that Clemson has mentioned they want to get back to. So now not only do they have the personnel, uh, but it's, it's pretty urgent at this point, too. I'm going to get to the quarterback and running back here in a second, Len J. Dixon, Travis Etienne, and also Trevor Lawrence. But the offensive line, I can't talk about the guys behind the line without talking about the offensive line. You lost the left guard center, right guard, or right tackle. And those are big shoes to fill. I mean, it's not just you're, you're missing guys. I've been watching games today, the Louisville game. I have the North Carolina game on currently right now. And it seems like a well-oiled machine. And Trevor Lawrence, even though early in the season – People are saying, is this a sophomore slump? Will, will Trevor Lawrence or Sunshine, whatever you want to call him, will he fall back and will he not be um, as good as we saw him his freshman year? Well, you got to think the guys in front of him helped him be as good as he is and helped him even last year. Early season struggles are going to happen. The coaches will put you in situations that will help you be better in the long run. But losing those four guys is huge. How will the offensive line make up for such a big loss? It is huge. I think that that is the single – Biggest question that Clemson has to face on either side of the ball. Um, I think they felt fortunate that they got nine of their 15 spring practices in to kind of start experimenting and see, you know, what's, what's the plan here? Because, yeah, you look at this line and the only returner is Jackson Carmen. I mean, you're right. All four of the other spots are, are up for grabs. And so I think that they feel pretty good about some of the backups that they had in 2019 sliding into those roles. Um, Matt Bockhorst is very experienced. Jordan McFadden um, was a left tackle in 2019, but I think he'll, he'll slide over and be the starting right tackle in 2020. Um, at left guard, right guard, I think Will Putnam, a sophomore, will kind of take over. Um, so they have some options, but then you also look at the second string O-line, and that's where I think it gets really cloudy is just because you didn't have a lot of time to figure out, you know, who fits in where. Clemson really likes to cross-train those guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just, there's just, in my opinion, no question that comes close to the O-line when you look at the fact that, yeah, they are losing quite literally 80% of their, <laughs> of their starts. In most, in most situations, in most years, a fan base would freak out. In most situations, in most years, the quarterback, the running backs behind the line would freak out. But you have a guy in Trevor Lawrence you have Travis Etienne, which I am sure most ACC fans were hoping he went to the draft. He had other, he had other plans. <laughs> but you also have Lynn J. Dixon as well, where he's, he's a solid guy. He's not just someone that's back there that's not going to get any run that, that won't help Travis Etienne to try to spell him a little bit and let him get some breathers and, and take some of the blow so Travis Etienne is not playing every single down. But Trevor Lawrence, I think early in this season, just like we saw the, the first five games of last year, I believe it was the first five games, because I'm pretty sure the Carolina game was game number five, mm -hmm. where Trevor Lawrence will be not just called upon to be a leader, but to encourage the O-line to distrust of themselves. I think a lot of times with the lack of spring practice, even though, like you mentioned, Clemson got nine of the 15 spring practices in, which is, I think, huge for the young guys and those that were actually there to be able to participate in it. But I do think that Trevor Lawrence is going to be asked not just to be a leader of the offense, 
but to encourage the new starters on the old line to say, hey, man, I know this is new. I know you're nervous. I know this is a new experience for you, but I'm back here behind you. Just trust me. We got this. For sure. And I think that that, I think that Trevor, um, and you know, we've really seen him come into a leadership role and come into his own voice this, this whole off season. And I think that that's going to translate onto the field um, as well. But Trevor is a guy that I just think that this O-line really wants to play for, you know, I think that they really respect him as a quarterback and they really love him as a teammate. And then you combine the fact with like, whoa, we get the block for someone like Trevor and Travis, you know, I mean, it's, it's a pretty compelling uh, sales pitch, but yeah, I mean, I think that when, when I think about leadership and really who's going to take over that role in the offense, um, it really is two names come to mind, Trevor and, and Amari Rogers, the, the senior receiver. So um, yeah, I'm totally with you. I think that Trevor um, understands that this this line is going to need to really come into its own, especially with the the inexperience. I think they're going to look to Jackson Carmen a lot as the you know the veteran of the of the group. But um, yeah, I think Trevor will. And Trevor's one of the most chill people I've ever met. I'm sure you've picked up on that. He just yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. like he just doesn't get too ever too high or too low. And I think that that'll really help in this situation. I want to ask you one question, very, very simple, about Trevor Lawrence. What makes him so special? Man, I mean, I think that you just – I was so I was actually explaining this to one of my girlfriends the other night who had never heard of Trevor Lawrence. And she's like, why, why is he so good? <laughs> um, <laughs> and I started to think about it, and I was like, well, geez, how – you know, which, which direction do I go in here? There's a million. But, you know, I think that you just look at the, at the talent side of it, and it's just off the charts. I mean – um, I think we all think he'll, he'll be the, the first pick in the 2021 NFL draft and, and a Heisman finalist, if not the winner. Um, so you just, uh, it, it's funny, Clemson is talking about how they have these generational quarterbacks. It's not really becoming generational anymore when you have Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence back to back. But you just take his, his, just the, his poise and, and the way he sees things. And just, I've seen him throw so many balls into so many tiny windows. And I'm just like, how in the world, you know, sometimes you think your vision is, failing you you're just like there's no way what I think I just saw happened um so you take that side of it and then you combine it with the fact that he is just super poised really humble has been in the spotlight since he was 14 knows how to manage all of this is really respected I mean it's just it's just the complete package and I think that we're really going to see him continue to come into his own um here in what I think most of us assume is his <laughs> final year in college football. <laughs> <laughs> we assume. And we assume that about Travis Etienne right. as well. But <laughs> right. If Travis Etienne is back in 2021, we're going to have some problems. <laughs> <laughs> Big problems. Speaking of Travis, um, I mentioned the Ohio State game. And I, I, I felt for some reason, when I think about the end of last season, I always go back to that game, Ohio State-Clemson versus Ohio State-LSU, maybe because it was lopsided in the, in the end of the LSU game. But Travis Etienne, I got a buddy that's a Miami Hurricanes fan. I got friends that are Ohio State Buckeyes fans. And anytime that man's on the field and he's in the backfield behind Sunshine, we get nervous because we know at any given moment we could have a, we could have him what we think is wrapped up. He he breaks that and goes for 20, 30, 40 yards. And he is just one of those guys that when it comes to college football, there's great running backs all over the place. But he's not just great, he's special. And he put fear, he puts fear not only in the opponent's eyes, but fans' <laughs> eyes as well. He is truly like I think when I look back on my career one day, he will truly be one of the most exciting players I have ever seen. I mean, it's just I remember the first time that he really started to turn some heads and and what ended up being a foreshadowing to what was to come was when Clemson was playing um, at Louisville his freshman year is in 2017. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to hit the A-gap, and all of a sudden you look up, and he is streaking down the sideline in a total foot race. He goes for 80 yards. It's a touchdown. And I vividly remember, like, looking at my editor and being like, is this the best four-string running back in the nation? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I just – he's his – once you – you're not going to beat Travis in a foot race. So once he gets loose, I think you, you just cut your losses at that point. Um, but just to see his development, you know, he, what I, what I've learned about Travis and talking to, you know, his trainer and his high school coach was that his lower body has always been there. The explosiveness, the natural speed just always been there. But now um, they've really developed his upper body. So he can take some of these hits and and now you look through him and, and he's breaking all these tackles and he's, you know, all of a sudden bowling ball bulldozing his way in too. And it's like, whoa, he's, he's becoming both of these running backs. You know, he's becoming the explosive speedster and kind of the, the workhorse a little bit, you know? So um, 
I, I don't know what it's like to be, uh, like, I don't know. I could, I could totally understand why your friends of the Miami <laughs> hurricanes are like, Oh shoot. Like he's just, uh, he's, he's unbelievable. Yeah. He's, he's definitely special. And we're going to, let's go ahead and switch to, switch to the other side of the ball. You mentioned this earlier about the offensive line and how they have big shoes to fill with holes that are there. The defensive line might be the same thing. Yeah. So the, I'm really curious to see what Clemson does with the D line this year, because you know, this time last year, their defensive tackles in specific were so inexperienced that um, we really saw Brent Venables get creative and, and go with the, the three-down line and look. And ever since I've covered Clemson, you know, they've always had the traditional four-down look. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he had told them, like, look, I don't, I don't have to line four of you guys up. Like, if I don't think you're <laughs> ready, you know. And, and, and part, a large part of that was Clemson's strength was in the back seven. Their secondary was extremely experienced and, and strong and veteran. But this year, um, I think that he has that kind of depth to go back to the traditional look. I'm just curious to see kind of what happens. Like, I think that we all know that uh, Xavier Thomas and Justin Foster are going to be the starting defensive ends. And I'm, I'm excited to see if, if Xavier takes that next step and, and kind of has the season that we thought he might have in 2019. Um, but then you look at the tackles, and, and to me, uh, one of those spots is a lock with Tyler Davis. And um, I would imagine Niles Pinkney, the redshirt graduate, is probably going to be the other starter. But you look at Brian Brzee, the number one recruit in the nation, he's in that room. Um, you look at DeMonte Capehart, a freshman, he's in that room. I mean, they just – they finally have – I shouldn't say finally. It was like two years ago when they were loaded on the D-line. <laughs> but mm-hmm. they do they, – they are starting to have some more options. So I'm interested to see kind of how he finagles with that and, and figures out who he wants and where and when. I didn't really think going into this that the, that the theme of filling big shoes or there'll be holes there, that's kind of going to be the theme of this. But right next to me in my notes, I have this name circled, and it's Mike Jones Jr. Mm-hmm. And to the left of it, he's replacing Isaiah Simmons. We all saw how special he was last year, a guy that was kind of a Swiss Army knife. Whatever was needed for him, he could do it. And I, he led the team and tackled with 107. Right under him was James, was James Skowski with 105. So it's not just like he's in the back half, he's in the secondary, or he's in a linebacker. He's literally all over the field doing everything. How does Mike Jones Jr. do it? That's, that's all I got. I don't know how to just I'll, I'll <laughs> explain that. How, how does he fill his shoes? Yeah, I think that – that is, I think personally, Mike Jones Jr. has one of the biggest roles on this defense in, in 2020. But I think the short answer to that question is Clemson is not going to ask Mike Jones Jr. to be Isaiah Simmons. I mean, they just can't. Isaiah Simmons, it, there's, one, there's one of him. Um, Dabo Sweeney was not joking when he said he honestly thought Isaiah could be all conference at three different positions. Yeah. Um, I mean, they just, you just look at someone like Isaiah and um, kind of like what I was saying with Travis. It's like, I don't know that I'll ever see another defender like that. Um, but with Mike, so, you know, he's, I think he's about four inches shorter and about five pounds lighter, maybe. Um, don't quote me on that actually. He's, but he's, he's smaller. Um, but I think they're just going to ask him to do kind of what he does best and kind of that's, that's what I think is the beauty of Brent Venables and why I think he's one of the best, if not the best defensive coordinators in college football is because he meets them where they are and doesn't, doesn't ask or demand the opposite. You know, he's going to figure out how to use Mike and how to best get his skill set uh, to to be highlighted and to shine. But I am interested to see kind of how that position looks because you're right. I mean, Isaiah, you would look up sometimes and just have no idea where he was. I mean, he was just everywhere. <laughs> I would, yeah, and early today, like I've mentioned, I was watching, it was a Louisville game and one play, don't quote me on this position, but one, one play where he was on the other side of the field and the very next play he had, he had an interception. So I'm like, does this kid just have – he kind of has the freedom like a – not saying he really played the same position, but like a Troy Palomalu, like if you see it, if you're there, and if you feel the plays going that way, just roll with it. And he did that very, very well. How does James Skowski and why does James Skowski get overlooked? Because I know last year it was all Isaiah Simmons and some of the back half, the mm-hmm. secondary, but it seems like Skowski is a guy, he's solid, he's consistent, you know what you're going to get. But there's other people that outshine him, but he's kind of – to be the leader of this defense. I definitely think he's the leader of the defense in 2020. I mean, it's, it's funny. There was um, a time in spring practice when we were talking to Dabo Sweeney, when he had said there were times in spring that Skowski was just so far ahead of everyone else that a lot of the, the coaches looked at each other and cont- contemplated, like, should we pull him off the field right now for the sake of fairness, you know, or, and for the <laughs> sake of, you know, forcing someone else to kind of step up and, and get developed. And so with Skowski, I think that, 
I think he was overlooked because, you know, he was a first-year starter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Isaiah played a, a large role in that. I mean, when you thought about the Clemson defense in 2019, you thought Isaiah Simmons. Um, so I think that it was just a combination of him kind of finding his role and coming into his own while Isaiah was, you know, breaking out and becoming the super stud that he was. But, yeah, I think that this defense – um, starts with Skowski in 2020 for sure. I think from a leadership standpoint, he's probably going to be the most important leader they have on that side of the ball. Experience, like you said, he was second in tackles at 105. Um, this, to me, is, is kind of his unit to to really take under his wing and nurture and, and run with it. Who in the secondary, and I'm moving quickly to the defense, don't ask me why, <laughs> who, in, who, in the second, who in the secondary is kind of kind of the guy that you think may surprise some people? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think I would say Landon Zanders. He's going to be a sophomore. He's a safety. Um, Nolan Turner is obviously going to be one of those starting safeties. And, and Darian Kendrick will be one of the starting corners. I'm still kind of curious to see who's going to be that other corner. I think it'll be Mario Goodrich. Um, but I know Clemson is kind of looking for someone to, to step up there. But Landon was a guy as a freshman who was kind of a mainstay on special teams. But then all of a sudden you look up and he got a decent amount of defensive snaps. Um, and I think Clemson really likes his work ethic, his buy-in. Um, he was just someone, you know, he just, he didn't get talked about a ton cause he was a freshman and you know, he wasn't, he was a backup, but I think that if I had to peg who I'm going to circle, at least in my notes, um, I, th- I think I would start with Landon. Okay. Okay. I was curious about that. And I've been, um, I was kind of curious about the Mario Goodrich and seeing how he would fill the shoes of AJ Terrell and what, what the role that he played last year being um, a very well, – I think he got drafted, what, third round? Um, excuse me, first round. Oh, no, yeah, my, he did. First round. My, my apologies. Um, but being drafted first round, Kendrick's going to be there on one side. You have to find have somebody else on the other side that you can trust. And he's going to get picked on if it's Goodrich. And now they may move someone else over there. But he's going to get picked on. And I'm curious because I'm going to watch a lot of Clemson football this year because – I like I like Trevor Lawrence. I like Travis Etienne. Those are those are two guys that I love to watch. So I'll be watching a lot of Clemson football. But I'm curious to see how Goodrich, if it's him, handles the role of being the guy that's going to get picked on all the time. Very, it's very similar, like when, when you're in school, that there's always that one kid that picks on everybody else. And no matter what you say, no matter what the, no matter what the teacher says, he's going to pick on you. He's going to be a pest, and he's just not going to stop because he finds humor in it. Well, there's going to be other opposing offensive coordinators. They're like, oh, there's that there's that new guy over there. I don't think he's ready for this for this competition. I don't think he's ready for this level. Let's go at him. Let's go his way. And as a Colts fan, we had a, ro- a rookie cornerback that had to play a little bit due to injuries, and so I went to the Colts and Broncos game, and like I think it was like three plays in a row. They threw to his side. They're picking on him. Pass interference every single time. Mm. Not saying Gilrich is going to be the pass interference guy, but he's going to get picked on quite a bit. Yeah, so this was the exact conversation, basically, that Clemson had with Darian Kendrick last year when, when Terrell was on the other side. And they were like, look, and, and DK was, was switching positions. He'd come from the wide receiver room. But they were like, you are going to get picked on. You need to be ready. Um, and I thought he handled it really well. I thought he had kind of a breakout season. And, and I would think that – if Goodrich is the guy who's going to be starting alongside of him, who I think, I think he will be, um, you know, he had, some, he had an injury this spring, but um, I think they'll have that same conversation with him. Like, Hey, you need to be ready. Um, DK is the returner. You know, they've got way more film on him. They, they know what he can do. Um, and so that's something I'm curious about too is, and, and, and not even just Mario, but you know, Clemson has really been looking for a third corner to step up. And that was something that Dabo Sweeney really wanted to see and maybe try to get solved in the spring was, okay, who was going to be that third, you know, co-starter, if you will. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. I think, he, I think that whoever it is, assuming it's him, does need to be prepared knowing that, all right, you know, you're the new kid on the block, just like DK was <laughs> last year. Um, but, you know, if they handle it as well as Darian Kendrick did, I, I think they'll be in good hands. I think so. The coaching staff, the coaches – the leadership there from the players as well. They've all, they, this isn't their first rodeo. They've been at this level for quite a long time. They have gone from a, gone from a school that no one really thought about to every single year. When you look at Clemson's schedule, you know what to expect. You know, when they're on the field, you, you, if you don't bring your A game, you're going to get embarrassed. And so I think that even though there's new, new faces, even though there's big shoes to fill with the offensive line, as you said, 80% of the line is gone. <laughs> I do think that Clemson, looking ahead into the fall, assuming we have a season, 
I think Clemson's going to be one of those teams, not just because they're in the ACC. And I, I've used that argument numerous times. The ACC is weak and all that stuff. But Clemson has shown, even though they're in a weaker conference, Clemson is still going to – they still have talent. They still recruit at a high level. And the players that recruit, they develop them year after year after year to continue to play at that high level. And as I look, as I look at the schedule, they're going to have – it's you could say, yeah, it's going to be a little easy. Okay, I understand that. But then they do have to go to Notre Dame November 7th. Notre Dame's kind of makeshift ACC schedule. They're still playing those five ACC games every single year. And even though you can say all oh, the previous games are going to be you – know, some fans will say, oh, we're going to win those automatically. Okay, cool. Go on the road in November towards the end of the season. Go to South Bend. That's going to be a test that the previous games will help see if Clemson is ready for that game or not. For sure. I think that when you're looking at Clemson's schedule, that's the one you circle with a big red Sharpie in terms of uh, the best game, the most important game. Um, their, that, that game, I think, is going to be their argument on their, on their college football playoff resume of, okay, hey, look, this, is, this will be our marquee win if, if, they, if they do win that game, which um, I think they will. But, um, yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, I know South Carolina is always a rivalry game, and I know that, you know, maybe North Carolina gives them a run for their money in, in a potential ACC championship game if they win the Coastal. But to me, it's just like you just look at that schedule and there's not really a close second no. in terms of, of Notre, the Notre Dame and the importance of, of that game. No, and for the listeners that are wondering what we're talking about as far as the schedule, I'll just highlight a few games. They, oh, they open the season at Georgia Tech, Louisville at home, Akron at home, skip a few weeks later on the road at Boston College, on the road at Florida State. I sure I sure missed the days that when Clemson and Florida State was a, was a tough game, a game where you circle where ABC is like, yes, this school, that game is going to be prime time. I missed those days. But then they do have Notre Dame on the road, but then they follow that up, the Citadel at Wake Forest and at home for South Carolina. And as Grace mentioned, and, and it's, no, it's no secret, I mean, college football fans, if you look at the schedule, no matter for your team or for somebody else's, you look at Clemson's schedule, you're like, man, that's easy. And me being an Ohio State fan, I have to admit, there were times last year during the schedule, during the season, I'm like, I don't know why y'all put that. I think with Nebraska, they put Nebraska in primetime. And I'm like, why would you put that in primetime? Because Ohio State was already at a level that the networks could have rearranged that to put a more competitive game in primetime. But, you know, Ohio State brings eyeballs. And at the time, ABC, one of those eyeballs at that game. But even though, even though that's the case there, let's just say they run the table. Let's just say, hypothetically speaking, they beat, they beat North Carolina. They beat them. They go 13-0 once again. Do they have a shot this year to do what they didn't do last year to win the championship? I think so. I think when you look at the early odds, um, they're probably the favorite. I mean, I'm not, I haven't looked at uh, – I don't keep up with the, the Vegas funds uh, <laughs> and all that good stuff. But, I mean, I just uh, – I usually don't bet against Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne anyway. Um, I'm probably definitely not going to bet against them as junior slash seniors coming off of a national championship loss. Um, LSU, I don't think, will be what they were in 2019. I don't know that we'll ever see anything like that again. I mean, that was just unbelievable. That was, um, that was stupid. That was just – that was dumb. It was just – yeah, it, it honestly it honestly <laughs> was. It was like, holy cow. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Clemson, I think, is at the point now where they reload and they don't rebuild. You know, they've just – they've got all the pieces – like you said, they're developing, they're recruiting. Um, I think this 2020 team, if the season happens, um, I, I don't think any of us really know what's what that's going to look like. Um, but if we have a normal college football playoff, I think Clemson is, is right in the thick of it to win it all. I think so, too. And I know I keep saying Ohio State, but there is always one player, well, two players, and then one team that scares me as an Ohio State fan. And my Ohio State fans that listen to this, will be like, Jay, what are you doing? What, what, what are you saying that for? Aren't you a homer? No, I'm going to be a realist. Clemson scares me. They, they, they have scared me for a while. Even going back, I think it was a 2013 Orange Bowl where I want to say Taj Boyd was there and they beat – it was either Orange Bowl or Fiesta Bowl, one of the two, but they, they beat Ohio State there. I think they shut us out, actually. But even then, going back to that point, Clemson every single year, every single time that they're on the field, they bring their A game. That's a testament to not just Brett Venables, Dabble Sweeney, all the coaches there, the ones that have come in and left and then have been replaced. Everyone is on the same page. He's found a way to get everyone to buy in. And I think it's a testament to him as a man and saying, guys, we have something special. I have, we, what we have here is special. And he consistently recruits the right guys. Grace, this has been fun, a lot of fun. 
Um, we're going to end this thing really quickly with some rapid fire. Uh, I got nine questions here. It was supposed to be 10 to my first guest. I had nine on accident and I didn't change it. So I just kept it with nine the entire time. Um, so nine quick things here at the very, very end, you can let people know where they can catch you on social media then also where they can read some of your articles as well. Question or thought number one, what is the highlight of your job? Highlight of my job is getting to know these players outside of the field and kind of get to know them on a more personal level and figure out kind of what drives them beyond just football. You're a, I think I read somewhere you're a college basketball junkie. Is that correct? <laughs> I love college basketball. I do. Yes. Okay. What was, what was the, what was your favorite college basketball game that you watched? Oh, like in my life? Yeah. Ooh, as a journalist or a fan? Doesn't matter. Pick. Um, well, so I went to North Carolina, so I saw my fair share of, of pretty epic basketball games. Um, I will say probably the highlight of, as a journalist was my senior year of college. I wrote for the student newspaper and uh, Carolina was playing at Duke. So I got to go to Cameron and it went into overtime, which was, was pretty mm. epic. Duke won Ooh. by two. Yep. Um, but just to be in that environment with, you know, Coach K right in front of you and Roy Williams and that, I mean, at that point you don't really care who wins because you're a journalist. <laughs> um, but definitely being at, at Carolina Duke um, at both places was a bucket list. And then – who, as a fan, I don't know. I mean, I was like one of those girls in high school that was obsessed with Tyler Hansborough and, um, you know, got his jersey for Christmas. And oh, my goodness. All that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a, I mean, I was like the peak, you know, I was the, I was like 16, you know, when he was. In okay. College. Okay. So maybe when, when UNC won it all in, in 2009, that was, that was pretty memorable for me as just someone who loves college basketball and loves March Madness. Funny you say that because it's, I'm not old, but I remember when Tyler Hansborough in high school came to Indianapolis to, to play Greg Golden and Mike Conley at Hinkle Fieldhouse. And wow. so I was, in, I was in high school during that time period. I didn't get to go to Hinkle for that game. I watched the game on TV, but I can still remember that. And I've gone back to watch that game actually a little bit. It's like, what was that atmosphere like? Um, just to see th those guys on the court there at the same time. Um, let's stick with college basketball. We're going to change it up a little bit. Who's your favorite college basketball player? Of all time? Who? Um, oh, gosh, that is such a hard question. There's so many good ones. I mean, it's hard not to say Zion, you know. Yeah. That, at some point, I think I'll tell my kids about Zion. Um, I was a big Hansborough fan. My, my dad uh, loved Phil Ford. Uh, okay. when, he, when he was in North Carolina. So that was a large part of my childhood. But I will say, I will say, I, I don't know that I've seen anyone as exciting and as earth shattering as someone like Zion Williamson. He's, <laughs> I saw him play in high school and I was oh, just, goodness. I will never forget it. It, the, it was like one of the first plays I'd ever seen of him. Cause you know, he played in Spartanburg, which is not right. far from Clemson. Um, and he had a breakaway dunk and he smashed the ball so hard through the hoop. The backboard was still shaking. Like as they went down for the next possession, I just remember being like this, this kid is unlike anything I've ever seen. Before. <laughs> <laughs> I remember he was um YouTube Instagram sensation. And then me being the critical guy that I am. Oh, he can not, not, not try to be like, Oh, he can only dunk, but we've, I haven't seen him do anything else but dunk. And on the court, it was like, he's playing little kids, but now he's that Duke and he got developed and <laughs> out oh, of this world. I, it's just a different kind of talent. It really is. He had that um, Clemson was on the receiving end of a highlight that I'm sure they wish they could have back. But that 360 dunk he had in Cameron last mm -hmm. year was against Clemson. And I just, I look at him and I'm like, I just do not know how your body moves like that. I just really don't. <laughs> Too big, moves too fast, just something that you make in a lab, but he's human. He's legit human. What is your favorite vacation spot? Ooh, favorite vacation spot. Um, ever since I was a little kid, our family has vacationed on the coast of North Carolina at Emerald Isle Beach. So I'd say either that or um, there's a lake about a half hour from where I grew up, Lake James in North Carolina, which is probably my favorite spot. Okay. What's a place you want to go, but you've never been? I would love to go to Italy. I love pasta so much. <laughs> I would love to go to Europe. It's funny because I interviewed someone just last night and he said the same thing. He wanted to go to Italy. Oh, I want to go so bad and just pizza, pasta. I just, I feel like I would never come home. <laughs> so I know you're a journalist and you've been able to attend games that a lot of fans will never be able to attend at a, in a position on the field or court that a lot of people will never be able to get but what's a game in any sport you would love to attend either as a journalist or as a fan? 
I would love to go to Wimbledon. I think that that would be pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. You are the d- director of a 30 for 30. Who would you do a documentary on? Ooh. Oh, man. That is such a hard question. Um, I would consider Dabo Sweeney. I mean, his life story is pretty compelling. Um, gosh, I don't know. I, who would you do one on? Oh, don't put me on the spot like that. <laughs> um, wow. They just did Michael Jordan. I would say Kobe Bryant, big Kobe Bryant guy, but mm-hmm. I would say do it 20 to 30 years from now. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we, if we did it right now, it's too fresh. Mm-hmm. It, would be a, it would be a different feel. Now, I'm not saying bring up the negative in his life and the negative things, but do an extensive one on Kobe Bryant and just pull out some of those details. We hear all the kinds of stories, the mama mentality. Oh, he was, he practice starts at eight. He was there. He got there at five and he mm-hmm. was drenched by six. And we, we've heard all those stories, but I want to, I, for my favorite player, I want to get deeper. And that's one person I would love to get a deeper uh, documentary on. Two more for you. One of them is about, one of them is about Kobe. Didn't really mean to bring that up. It's just there. The other one is Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Who would win in a game of one-on-one? Who? I think I'll, I think I'll go Jordan. Um, man, that, I mean, that's, gonna, that's like the debate of our whole lives, I feel like. like and it's not going to end. No, it's not. I think I'll go Jordan. What would you say? Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. I think he has the um, – the mental he, mm-hmm. he has the mentality to mentally beat down LeBron or overtake LeBron LeBron not beat him down but little, but to overtake LeBron I think the mental game I mean he's a smart he's a smart player they're both really they're both smart but I think just the mind of Michael Jordan he'll find ways he'll find ways to be crafty to be craftier than LeBron in a game of one-on-one uh, last but not least it is Kobe Bryant unfortunately he's no longer here with us what's one memory you have from his playing career my favorite Kobe memory is actually not like super, I don't know. It's a little, it's a little different, but I just remember when his career was over, I saw this graphic in the LA times and they had charted every shot that he ever took through the course of his career. And oh, I wow. just remember thinking this is the most epic thing I have ever seen. I mean, just like thousands of little dots, but um, I mean, his final game, I don't, I mean, there's, there's so many, yeah. um, I don't know. There's so many. It's, it's, it's tough. Um, you've been asking me a couple, so I'll tell you mine as well. Mine goes back to when I was in middle school, the 2000 NBA Finals. I forget if it was game three or game four, but the game was in Indiana. As a Pacers fan, I was, I was hyped, stupid hyped. The Pacers and the Lakers are in the finals. Big Kobe guy at that time as well, so I have Kobe's jersey. And I'm like, okay, cool. Kobe's here, but I'm going for my boys, the Pacers. Shaq fouled out, and then all of a sudden we see Kobe Bryant I think he was 20 years old, 20, 21 years old, and he just kind of took over in the fourth quarter. I want to say it was in overtime as well, where he's hitting big shot after big shot after big shot. And he does this thing with his hands where he's like, guys, calm down. Calm down. I got this. You can get behind me. And at that time, I was already a big fan, but he won me over e- even more because there was no scene, no, 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 no level, no game that was too big for him. And he did not shy away. He didn't go, even go back to his rookie year against the, I think it was against the Spurs in the playoffs where he airballed, I believe, four shots between the fourth quarter and overtime. But the scene wasn't too big for him. He was not scared of the moment. He had to build up to be able to handle the moment properly, but he wasn't scared of the moment. And for me, that's one reason why Kobe's always going to be my guy. Other basketball players will come in. I'm a big Michael Jordan guy as well. But I don't think anybody can ever take Kobe in my life. Grace, this has been a lot of fun. Let, people, let the people know where they can catch you on social media and then where they can read some of your articles as well. Oh, sure. Thanks. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. This was really fun. No problem. Um, I'm on Twitter, like probably the rest of the world. Um, and my handle is GMRainer, R-I-Y-N-O-R. And then all of my articles are on the Clemson page of The Athletic. Yes, and I would encourage everybody to subscribe to The Athletic if you do not. And then also read her stuff, read her article. She's very good at what she does. As you see, she's very knowledgeable as well when it comes to Clemson football and just knowing how to handle and just how to tackle and how to kind of just know what to say at some points in some of your articles. Grace, this has been a lot of fun. Um, Hopefully, and I've been saying this to a lot of guests lately, hopefully we have football in the fall. And if we do, we'll definitely have you back on again on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I would love to catch up again. Thank you so much for having me. Clemson Tigers 
football fans. Are you ready for the fall? Are you ready for what's to come with this season? Yes, I know, as Grace and I talked about, there are some holes that need to be filled. One of them, the Clemson offensive line lost 80% of their offensive line. The only returning starter is the left tackle. But as we know, what Dabo Sweeney does with this team, they don't rebuild, they reload. And you know what? Honestly, as a college football fan, there are very few teams that would scare me. Very few that when I see them on my schedule, I get fear and I don't want to play them. No matter if it's on the road, at home, or on a neutral site, I don't want to play them. One of the teams that scares me, like I said, there's not that many, but there are a few. One of the teams that scares me if I'm an opponent of this team would be the Clemson Tigers. Whatever Dabo Sweeney has been doing, whipping up in his lab, Hey man, it's working to perfection, winning national championships, getting back to national championships, and this upcoming season is very, very exciting. Travis Etienne came back, you still got sunshine, the defense still has some dogs on it, they got some young cats that are going to show up and show out, and if I was a Clemson Tigers football fan, I would be very excited about what's going to happen in the fall, and the chance, the chance to go back to the national championship game and not do what happened at the end of last season when you got there, to do the exact opposite and win the natty. Thank you for listening to another episode of the J. Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. If you are not on Twitter and you would love to connect with the podcast, send your emails to jstevenspod at gmail.com. Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people to search for a new podcast to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth. The things that we enjoy in life, we are more willing and some are wired to tell other people about. So no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode number one, be sure to let people know about the podcast. This has been episode 107 of the Jason Was Podcast. I'll see you next time. Yo, yo, if I said it, then I meant it. There's life and death inside of the tongue, sharper than a two-edged sword. Which side do you want? Big dog, Christ-blooded. Yo, you probably a runt. When we touch down, we kicking it. You probably a putt. It's real. Look, look, this your boy Jarrell Golden, man, CEO of Imago Day Records, and I'm chilling with MTMV Sports, and I suggest that you keep it locked. 48 coming soon, too. Be ready. Young man, humble.